Welcome to episode two of the Let's Get Nuts podcast. If you're listening, you can probably hear that my voice sounds a little different. I'm feeling a little under the weather, but wanted to keep to my word and stay on track and send out one episode a week. So here we are. I'm still going to battle through and get this episode out. So this is episode two. And my next guest, he uh, played minor hockey in Lethbridge and Pincher Creek. He also played his junior career in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League and Alberta Junior Hockey League, otherwise known as Junior A, and went on to play a year on my beer league team, followed that up with playing for a couple of seasons with the University of Lethbridge Pronghorns before they folded, unfortunately, still a joke, and then he followed that up with this year attempting to play senior hockey in Saskatchewan in which well he got through one game but at the team party followed that up with trying to do the splits and uh yeah it didn't end up too well and now he's on the shelf so I'd like to welcome in Landon Gross. Landon nice to have you. Yeah thanks for having me uh also thanks for mentioning my embarrassing injury I got out in Saskatchewan really appreciate that. (laughs) Okay so isn't it your hamstring? Yeah, that is correct. I uh, hurt my hamstring a little bit out there, having a little fun at a uh, fundraiser. Brian Trottier came out and at, at the team fundraiser and ended up uh, hurting myself a little bit, but hopefully we'll be back next year. As much as it's funny for everyone else, it honestly would suck. I can't imagine. I mean, not that my th- first instinct to maybe impress Brian Trottier is to try and do the splits, but regardless I, I feel awful for you because I know sitting at home every night you can't even go sit at a pub or whatever a restaurant because you're sitting so awkwardly so I feel bad for you but anyway we'll get into the topics this week and I thought about doing the world juniors in Bedard I thought about doing the NHL it with the Alberta teams and the crazy WHL trades that transpired but Because there's still another day and a half left of the WHL trade deadline, I'm going to leave that topic to next week and get into the the NHL topic of the Alberta teams next week. And we're going to stick to just the World Juniors and Bedard. So uh, first off, I know you, obviously, as we just touched on, spent a lot of time laying around and trying to feel better. So you watched a lot of the World Juniors this year. Uh, What were your thoughts, I guess, the main topic on what were your thoughts on Connor Bedard? Yeah, like you said, I got to see a fair amount of it. I watched pretty well all of Canada's games. Um, you know, I think the hype uh, that Bedard, Bedard really brought into the tournament, um, I think it brought a lot of attention to hockey, um, which I think was really good for the sport in general. Um, even if it was getting a little tedious, only hearing one name for 10 days, but I think it was really good for the sport as a whole. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I, I agree that they definitely overdid it, but for good reason, I think. Like, he was playing so good. How could you not talk about him breaking all those records? And just, I I love Connor McDavid. I think he's an unbelievable player. But, and hands down the best player in the world right now. But I, I mean, you look at the World Juniors, how McDavid produced in the World Juniors compared to how... Bedard produced and and you just kind of wonder like could McDavid be on that pedestal of being as good or pardon me Bedard be on that pedestal of being as good as potentially 
Connor McDavid or potentially better. Now, obviously, he doesn't skate like McDavid, but what are your thoughts on kind of how that could transpire? That was kind of my first thought. I mean, he clearly doesn't have the elite skating uh, of McDavid, but then again, who really does? And, you know, I think as a 17-year-old, um, clearly he's shown a lot of promise. Um, it, it's definitely tough to maybe project a Connor McDavid type superstar status, but I, I think he's going to be a really solid player. He um, shows a ton of skill, a lot, amazing release, but uh, I, I think it's a ton of pressure for a kid like that to live up to. So I think, you know, it'll be wise to just let him kind of grow and develop into a really solid NHL player. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, how can you project what he's going to be at the next level? I got no idea. I don't think anyone actually legit knows what he's going to be at the next level. And if they do, well, you should probably send him to the moon because I don't know how you can project that. But regardless, I mean, the last topic on Bedard, I will say, and let you weigh in on it, is I think Connor McDavid's hockey IQ is ridiculous. But a lot of times when you're watching vantage points, whether it be at the game or on your TV, you can see even what McDavid's doing because the game's kind of in slow-mo from where you're sitting. You can kind of see what he's thinking or where he ends up making a play and you're like, oh yeah, I saw that. But to me at least, maybe I'm just getting older, I can notice it more. But there were some plays Bedard made in the World Juniors where... I was watching on TV and I couldn't even see some of the plays he made and they didn't transpire into goals. Or I guess shouldn't say some of the plays he made, some of the plays that maybe didn't end up being accelerated from the guys trying to pass to and end up being a shot on net or anything. But it was just like, he was too smart for the guys around him. And I don't know if you saw some of those plays that maybe I did, but I like, I wondered maybe his hockey IQ is even slightly higher than Connor McDavid's. Um, I mean, he's clearly and has an elite hockey IQ. Um, some of the plays he would make, you know, you're just like shaking your head at the screen. Um, and and yeah, like you said, some of them you didn't even see from from a viewer's perspective, which usually, you know, you you can see the play develop and you can kind of almost uh, foresee the play. Uh, before they actually make it um but yeah i think some of them like you said were just you know so spectacular you kind of wonder how the way he conceptualizes the game as as he's playing it and how he actually makes those plays yeah and just i guess last point on that like i remember last year at the start of his 16 year old season saying to people don't worry about his point totals Cause he started off last year. He only had like 20 points in 25 games or something like that, which sounds like <laughs> sounds amazing. If you're any casual 16 year old to have 20 points in 25 games, it is ridiculous really. And, and then to think on that and say, Oh, he only has 20 and 25. And I was telling people last year, watch who, I mean, not to disrespect some of his line mates last year, but he watch who he's playing with because I think he's just too smart for his his team and his teammates. And sure enough, they finally found him a perfect guy to kind of play with once they made a coaching change. I'm not sure if that's really what 
made him click with his new line mate but him and this Tanner Howe who you're gonna hear a lot about next year he uh he's gonna be a high-end first round pick but anyway ever since then he has just been on an absolute tear so I really look forward to seeing his career transpire and I guess to the rest of the world juniors what else did you see from team Canada really um a couple other guys that stood out for me I was actually really impressed by Stank Oven. I thought he had some really good uh, hockey IQ, some really good playmaking abilities as well. Um, obviously, Gunther has a pretty pretty wicked release there from from the OV slot point there. Um, I also really like Grant Clark. Uh, I'm an LA Kings fan, so it was nice to see him get some success. I got to be honest. I, I think Grant Clark's a good player. I didn't really like him in the tournament, and my only reason... I think he just tried to do too much. I think some of those guys, they get sent back from the NHL, and I'm not sure they think it's going to be a cakewalk, but they just maybe try and do a little too much. I think Clark and everything I've seen from LA King reporters, I'm on your side because they've said all year in the nine games he played or whatever it was with LA that he was fantastic. So I think it was just a matter of him – maybe trying to do too much. And you could see he's got that high-end skill when he show, showed it off in the World Juniors. So, I mean, he's going to be he's gonna be an excellent player. But I, I, to me, in the tournament, I thought he had struggled at times, but excellent player. And I think just because he's struggling a short sample size or have a couple rough shifts, it's not going to define your career. So I... I would agree with you, though. Stank Oven, excellent player. He's just a water bug out there, but he also has an elite release, and he uh, is a really smart player, too. So he's going to be a great player. And I think the thing about him is, too, is he's a guy who, once he gets to the next level, because he's such an energy guy, too, he doesn't have to play in the top six. Yeah, he's probably more suited for that, but he can do a lot of other things, too. So interested to see how he ends up Gunther I kind of have a bit of a concern because it's only his release like if he can score though that's fine if you're gonna score on the power play score 20 a year and 15 on the power play I think most teams will take that but uh for me I I actually think he'd be best suited to go back to junior but regardless I I think he's still gonna end up with being a around 20 goal score probably in his career but the rest of the tournament I guess will be my last question for you landed to me most competitive tournament I've ever seen at the world juniors I know this year you've probably watched more closely than you ever have in the past what did you see from the other nations I guess no one in particular but just the other nations as a whole yeah um every game almost kind of seemed I wouldn't say, you know, a toss up. There's obviously some clear favorites and and stuff in every game, but it was definitely a lot closer. And, you know, sometimes you really didn't know exactly who was going to win or which way it was going to go, which which kind of brought a little bit more excitement to it. There were some upsets, which was, you know, depending on who you're cheering for, or maybe you had a little money on the game. So <laughs> the line was like, as someone who did, I feel like you are. So, uh, so it was fun that way, but you know, there was a lot of parody, uh, there was a lot of skill. Um, and like you said, I spent a lot of time on the couch recovering this Christmas. So 
it, it gave me something to do and it was it was fairly entertaining so you know can't no complaints overall do you, is it something did you gain more interest for future years watching this year or is it just kind of same as it will be because next year assuming you're fully healthy again will be something you just i mean if you're at home you maybe flip it on but nothing you really gain too much interest in no i think you know i kind of invested a significant amount of my time this year um to kind of get to know a little bit more of kind of the personnel on each team i think i will kind of pay attention more next year to kind of see you know which guys are back which guys have moved on what what the teams have kind of looking like and how they've developed so you know i think that kind of personal investment i've made is probably gonna make me pay a little bit closer attention as we move forward yeah i, I mean i i love the world juniors and this year i gotta be honest before it i have my doubts how competitive it would be just because not having russia there's just one less really competitive team in the world juniors so i thought maybe with just kind of obviously the four nations of canada sweden finland and the u.s that uh it was maybe gonna be a little uncompetitive or less competitive, I guess would be a better term for the tournament, but it didn't end up that way. And it was great to see the checks in there. I, I thought they'd be competitive, but I didn't see them going to the gold medal game. I thought they would be better in years past. And then the Slovaks, they were, I thought without Slavkovsky, without Demek, and then they lost uh, Samuel Honzak, who went out with injury early in the tournament I thought their depth would be tested and they probably didn't really stand a chance but they proved me wrong and they almost got by Canada so I think and the Slovaks next year I think they return it's their entire top nine forwards including Hanzek and they return potentially four or five of their D-men and their goalie so the Slovaks are going to be a legit gold medal contender next year assuming that those guys are healthy that can return and whatnot but they're going to be a tough team to play next year and I, I just think it's so great for the tournament that we're seeing all these countries be more competitive really the only team as you saw Austria was kind of the only country that really didn't stand a chance in any of their games Slovakia gold medal contender hot take you heard it here first from let's get nuts <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that i i mean you never know it's junior hockey but they're uh they are uh up-and-coming country starting to develop some guys again because they were a pretty darn good country when they had hosa stumple and uh paul fee chara you name it they were a pretty good country hockey wise but they've kind of tailed off for about 10 years there we'll see if they can pick it back up and hopefully they can but landy i guess that kind of concludes the time for me and you. Thanks for joining me and hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So because I was under the weather a bit the last few days, I kind of delayed sending out episode two here. But uh, just so you're aware, a couple of the topics we talk about in the upcoming interview or conversation with this guest, uh, some of the topics have obviously happened in the last few days and some of them were talked about being a future event so uh just so you're aware that some of these topics may have happened in the last few days this next guest i'd like to welcome on was a world junior 
silver medalist with Canada in 2003. Named to the 2003-2004 NHL Young Stars roster at the 2004 NHL All-Star Game and one of currently only 373 players in NHL history to reach 1,000 games that was split between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Calgary Flames. I'd like to welcome on the Let's Get Nuts podcast, guest number two, Matt Stajan. All right, Matt, nice to have you on the podcast. Uh, what are you up to right now? Uh, just in Regina. Um, we play the Pats tomorrow. I'm coaching with him and currently, so we're just finishing off for a whole trip in beautiful Regina. No, oh, well, I'm, I hate to be that guy, but I mean, there's a living legend that's in this conversation that was born in Regina. So, there and I don't, think it, I don't think it was you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I'm not, uh, not too proud to be born from Regina, Saskatchewan, though. It's not, as you know, it's not the most pleasant spot on earth. No, but it's, it's, uh, it's very known now because Connor Bedard with everything he's done is, uh, back in town after the world juniors. So, um, I guess people want to watch him. It's probably a good place to be. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get to your coaching down the road. Cause obviously tomorrow you, you are going to coach against Regina and Connor Bedard, I would assume is going to be in the lineup. So I, I mean, yeah, we, we, we haven't heard yet. So, um, Maybe they might give him some time off. I don't know. We'll just, yeah, uh, prepare as if as if he is going to play. Well, all the guys I, I saw, all the guys who uh, played last, or all the teams of guys that were returning from the World Juniors that played last night, none of them, at least in the WHL, none of them played from what I gathered. So, I uh, it'll be interesting though because he, he'll have those couple extra days. I mean, for your guys' sake, I hope he's not playing. <laughs> And you guys, yeah, yeah. as much as you don't want to admit, you probably hope he's not playing too, but. Oh, yeah, well, our chances go up if he's not, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and they had a rough outing last night, I saw. But uh, I guess we'll we'll kind of get started on how your career's gone, and now obviously transitioning into coaching, we'll start with your hockey career, and obviously you grew up in Mississauga, as you mentioned off-air to me just a couple of minutes ago. I knew it was the Toronto area, but. Uh, tell me about growing up in Mississauga. Yeah, I grew up in, uh, in Port Credit, which is a little town in Mississauga, um, basically just off of Lake Ontario. Um, yeah, and it was a, you know, a great neighborhood. A lot of my family and cousins uh, lived around there. So um, I was always hanging around with my cousins and um, played in the GTHL uh, hockey-wise growing up. So um, there's lots of driving around the city because um, that league is uh, across Toronto. There's teams in Mississauga, teams in uh, Markham. Uh, so it's uh, with the Toronto traffic, it's a uh, it's a lot of travel um, within. But uh, yeah, it was it was you know my life was hockey growing up. To tell you the truth, I was fortunate enough to go to some Leaf games and um, you know, but it revolved around my hockey schedule, and uh, I'm thankful for that. I loved it and. I was lucky enough to to achieve my dream of playing in the NHL, so that was cool. Does so Mississauga is it's what like twenty minutes outside downtown Toronto, half hour? Yeah, it's like twenty minutes. Like I'd say, like where I grew up is probably basically where the Leafs practice rink is. Uh, the Mastercards in Etobicoke. Um, that's probably right between um, the, the ACC or what Scotia Bank. I don't know what the arena is called there. Um, that'd be between where I grew up and 
and uh, where the Leafs play now, their practice rink is right in the middle. So, yeah, it's pretty much, you know, just off of, you know, Toronto's just kind of, it's just city after city once you get outside the border of Toronto. Um, you know, it goes Mississauga, Oakville. You know, there's not, it's not like being in uh, out here, out west, where, you know, you're in Regina and then you, you leave the city and, and then you drive, you know, an hour to get to Moose Jaw and that's the next city. It's, it's, uh, you don't get the land like that. It's just, you know, extending the city with different cities. Yeah. Everything kind of connects, eh? Yeah. So, so you play minor hockey in Mississauga, at least to what I can gather on elite prospects. Um, so you play, that was the GTHL, right? Yeah. Okay. I was looking, I was trying to look at who played with you on that team. The only name that I could really notice was Brian Hayes. Because <laughs> he's, he's the host of Overdrive, right? Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, he played with me. So the one on the, the team you saw was probably my last year in midget. Um, I was like midget. You, if you're playing midget hockey, you uh, you weren't good enough to play junior A. Um, so you know, I was a small guy, and and you know, Brian Hayes ended up playing in the OHL as well. But the year before, we had like Koliakovo um, on the team. Uh, Matt Foy played a little bit in the NHL. I played like 50 games. He played on that midget team. Um, but the year before, the league was was stacked with with a lot of NHLers like Stephen Weiss and Spezza. And, well, Spezza's probably already – he was exceptional status. But um, you get the drift. So yeah. I know the age groups have all changed. So, um, yeah, I didn't get drafted out of, uh, out of my draft year. Um, and the OHL – was just lowering their draft to a Bantam draft, which is still a year older than what the WHL does now. It's all crazy. It's so different. Um, so I actually, you know, I wasn't drafted until basically I got drafted and was able to go right to the OHL out of midget. Um, so that's kind of what happened. And yeah, Hazy was was on that team. Um, he's obviously overdrive guy now. And um, I actually know all three of those guys that played with Jeff O'Neill in, in Toronto for two years and kept the friendship with him and uh, noodles was uh in calgary when, when i got there so he was there for a few years uh, as a goalie coach so um you know it's a lot of fun watching them even not knowing them but i know all three of them so it's even uh it, it's a good time to watch those guys i i gotta say overdrive is probably one of my favorite things to watch as far as like uh having uh a, a panel i guess you could say just kind of discussing topics i I absolutely love watching those guys because they're they don't just discuss what's going on. They put funny twists on things, and I mean, O Dog, I don't know what the hell he's doing with that earring, and I don't know if you know what the hell he's doing with that earring. But uh, those all three of those guys are just pure comedy. You got any funny stories about any of them? Uh, yeah, well, they're they're all a lot of fun. Like they're a lot of fun just to hang around if you're going out for a few beers they're they're guys you'd want to be going out with so you know and they, they mesh that chemistry like oh what you see from jeff o'neill on, on that show it's exactly what well all three of them it's exactly what their personalities are like um you know old dog just doesn't give a shit what people think and you know when you're playing with him it was the exact same he was uh you know just out there and and um entertaining and uh you know he's easy to get going as you see AZ gets them going a little bit on that show. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just great. And, um, yeah, it's always fun when, when I get called to go on with them because it's, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun. That's good. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. They seem like they're a blast. So I guess 
you talk about you weren't drafted into the OHL. You just kind of worked your way in. Is that correct? Well, I missed. So it was like a transition. Uh, so I didn't get drafted my first. There's 20 rounds. They right. Like, okay. And they did a 20 round draft and I didn't get picked, but I was still eligible to get drafted the next year with the 84s which is I'm an 83. So it would have been 84 age group. And uh, yeah, so I got picked that year, which was because uh, I had a really good year in midget, but yeah, I wasn't, there wasn't many guys getting picked. So I kind of, yeah, I was drafted in the fourth round of that next year. And so I basically got drafted and went to camp that summer and made the team and played. Yeah. Cause you, it was the Belleville Bulls for three years, right? Yeah, Belleville Bulls. They're, yeah, they move. Unfortunately, they moved to Hamilton, so they're the Hamilton Bulldogs now. But um, yeah, I loved loved my time there, and it's a great city. And uh, we played on Olympic ice surface there. The rink was an Olympic ice when I was there, so that was uh, that was you know it was good and bad. Um, it was fun playing at home, and the road brought its challenges. But we uh, we had a lot of fun for sure. Uh, they call it Bell Vegas. I know you're you're from Let <laughs> Vegas, but no. Bell Vegas is what what Belleville's known for in Ontario. Yeah, well, and I, I'm looking at some of the guys on your team, and you had, like, the penalty minutes on that team is just ridiculous to go or to think about now. <laughs> but uh, you go through, you got Cody McCormick, who was, he was tough as nails when he got to the NHL. He was like a fighter. And Andre DeVoe, is he from, like, the, oh, he's from some weird country. I can't think where it is, but... Is he played well, he, grew in, he grew up in Welland, but he was born uh terrible country. I don't know if it was I forget if it was Bahamas. I forget what country. Yeah, Bahamas. I think that's right. He was Bahamas. But he was he grew up in Welland, Ontario. Okay. So yeah, so he was there as well. Uh, yeah, you had two two to four tough guys. Like you had one heavy on your team, one, and then you'd have three or four other guys that could drop the mitts. Like we had Wilf Paymont's kid, Adam Paymont was on the team. Um, he was, he was, a uh, he had a lot of sandpaper to his game, you know, Cody McCormick and even the other guys like I played with, there's like a lot of nastiness to their game. It's just the way the game was back then. You, yeah. you, you had to have play with an edge, um, and you couldn't get thrown off by people being all over you. Like you were a target, like my last year, you know, you're a target, you're the team's best player. You have guys coming at you all the time. And it was still the old rules then. Like they were still hooking, clutching and grabbing. So it was, uh. Yeah, I was right right at the end of uh, when the rules changed. Yeah, really? You played your whole junior career with the old rules where it was yeah. until the lockout. Was it 0405, I want to say that? Or 0506? Yeah. yeah. 0405, so, yeah. Uh, until that, literally, it was just clutch and grab and hook, and you could get away with almost murder on the ice. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. And even my first year in the NHL was, was the old rules. So I played a year, and then there was the lockout. Then we went to the new rules. So it was, uh, yeah, you just kind of had to, you know, outsmart it. You know, there's a lot of picking. You just had to learn how to outsmart it. Just like in today's game now, everybody can skate and you got to find the open space. Um, so it was a challenge for everybody. Um, but it was a lot more of a challenge for the guys who were later in their careers when, when the rules changed because all of a sudden, you know, the game became a lot faster. And when you're in your late 30s, and back then there were a lot of players in their late 30s. Um, you know, the game got a lot faster, so that'd be tough for them. And a lot of guys, that's how their careers ended. Yeah, well, it's uh, it it was definitely it was entertaining as a fan to watch, watching those early two thousand games at the time. But you, like, 
from like a human aspect, you completely understand why the game changed, right? Yeah, it's just faster now. Um, yeah, in a way, like I think some of the nastiest hits, like we obviously you look back, there's some nasty hits from every era, um, even when they didn't have helmets. But like when the rules first changed, the biggest thing was there was no picks. So like on the four check, like a D couldn't pick you or hook you anymore. So you could get in on the four check, like like the guy like Jordan Tutu could just, you know, he was free to go hammer someone. So it, there was a lot of big hits from like, you know, when the rules changed in what, 05, 06 to like 2012, 13. And then, and then now with all the concussion stuff, you're seeing, you know, headshots are becoming, you know, illegal about time. They kind of, you know, looked at Tad and said, okay, no more hits the head. But those four or five years right after, there was a ton of headshots because, you know, guys would still run at you and they wouldn't um, be slowed down in any way. So it was, uh, in a way, it was, it was a little bit more dangerous where, in the, you know, when there was still hooking, you could clutch and grab and pick guys and slow guys down. So um, it was an adjustment for everybody. And, you know, the game always adjusts and changes. And that's what we're seeing now. You talk about Jordan Tutu and headshots and running guys. You played in the World Juniors in 2003 in Halifax, where obviously they were just in Halifax for this past couple of weeks for the World Juniors there. What was your experience like at the World Juniors? I know you guys ended up falling in the gold medal game to Russia, I believe it was. But uh, just talk me through the whole experience of and that crowd. Like, I remember two World Juniors and are my two biggest memories. This past one, obviously, but the number one World Juniors I think back on and really can remember is uh, your year in Halifax because. Me personally, I just remember Jordan Tutu and and uh, Upshaw and someone else on that line just going onto the ice for those first 10 minutes and literally hitting the players on the opposite team basically out of the building. Yeah, and, and watching this World Juniors brought back a lot of memories because that, that building was going crazy right now. Um, and it was exactly the same when we played uh, in 0203 um so a lot of memories and and yeah it was it was the 2-2 show um all those hits would probably be penalties in today's game but back then they weren't and uh and he played it to a t and i actually played on his line for a bunch of the tournament uh upshaw was on a different line so we had a bunch of lines running around but uh yeah when you were out there with two it was just yeah me and jay mcclement uh or or dan pie we'd kind of rotate um but kind of you know side on the air of caution and let Tutu go do his thing because he was uh bringing energy to that building like I've like I've never seen and um it was comparable to like Michael Furland in the 2015 playoffs he just <laughs> brought so much energy for for the team and the crowd at that that uh it made a big difference for for us and uh, it's unfortunate we lost uh by a goal in the final but you know that's uh that's where you play you know, it's a one game showdown and, and they had Ovechkin and a few guys that, that were the difference makers, but it was uh, one of the best times of my life, that experience. Well, yeah, you just, you look at that team you guys had, like there are a lot of guys that uh, worked out and had excellent careers really in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have any like superstars where, you know, we didn't have a Connor Bedard. Um, but we had a lot of guys who had long careers because, you know, they were played a two-way game and, um, 
yeah, but most world junior teams, you probably, you probably get about at least 20 of the guys having some sort of NHL career. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's just making that team, just getting asked to go to a tryouts to make that team is a, is a privilege. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to make that team and, and have a good camp and, and actually made it as a 13th forward. So, and I probably lucked out because guys like Spezza were in, were in the NHL and those guys weren't <laughs> taking up a few spots. But you see that every year. Oh, that's still, that's awesome. And I mean, obviously you'd love to have got gold then, but even to just play in that and in that atmosphere, I'm sure that's something that you can hold with you the rest of your life. And I mean, not many guys will be able to say they played in the world juniors in that type of atmosphere. Cause Halifax, I mean, from what I can see is just incredible. Yeah. They should host it like every five years because it's, it's, <laughs> it's the one everybody remembers right and then this yeah. year again they did it on short notice and it's one that people are going to remember not just because Connor Bedard but because the whole atmosphere at the tournament's just you know such good support there and it's it's a fun place um obviously anybody who's been out east you know they're a lot of fun out there is uh do you obviously do you still watch the world juniors very closely um when I was still playing, it's hard. You're you're so busy, and NHL throws a bunch of games around Christmas, so you don't watch it as much. You follow along. Um, you don't really have time to sit down and watch. Um, this year's probably the most I've watched um, in a long time, for two parts. Once one because it was in Halifax where I played, so it brought back a lot of memories. Um, and then two, you know, you just you have more time when you retire, and and now I'm coaching, so. You know, the games that landed on nights off, uh, you know, you can throw it on. And, and there was a lot of hype this year, obviously, with the Connor Bedard story. You know, you were seeing it everywhere. And I'm coaching junior, so that's all all the players are talking about, too. So I, I, I this is probably the most I've watched in a long time. Oh, that's awesome. And, and especially your kids, too, growing up. I mean, they're probably glued to the TV or they really, I mean, maybe not quite glued to the TV, but they probably really enjoy watching it and Especially yeah. you can tell them, hey, daddy played in that. <laughs> yeah, my older one, for sure. Uh, well, he's seven now, so he's he's understanding and loves to watch. Um, and my younger one's four, so he's he's watching a little bit. You know, the, it was nice because the games were on a little bit earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, they're 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 very aware now of like when the Leafs are on TV or when the Flames are on TV <laughs> that that I played for those teams. So it's it's really cool to to have that that with them and share stories and as they get older i'm sure it'll be even more uh uh a lot of fun to relive some uh memories with them you talk about the leafs and obviously growing up just outside toronto what was it like to play for the team you grew up watching and not only just to play for a team that's around you but in the nhl and probably the biggest market in well, I would say is the biggest market in the entire NHL and being from there. It was, it was awesome. Like it was, I couldn't have asked for anything else. I, I grew up a Leafs fan. Um, the draft uh, that I was drafted at was held at, in Toronto at the Air Canada Center. So I never really had to leave <laughs> and, and that's all I knew. So in a way, when it's all, you know, um, you just kind of go with it. I didn't go to a, a market like, Florida or Carolina and then come to Toronto and get hit with a wave it's kind of I was kind of groomed to to know what it was like so 
the transition wasn't as hard as it is for, for some guys. And, and I loved every minute of it. Like I, um, you know, you know, it's going to end at some point, but I tried to enjoy every single day. I was with that team and, uh, you know, it was, it was a long time it was six, seven years. I was in the organization. So it was a lot of fun. I didn't have to, you know, I could work out there in the summer with the trainers and, and the strength coaches. And, um, yeah. And then when I got traded, it was, it was a hard day, but I went to another city that, that I now live in too. So, um, I couldn't have asked for, for two better spots to play in. Well, and you're the last team that uh, won a playoff series for Toronto. So you were on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I played in that game seven. We played Ottawa. Um, and that was before the lock, the, the first lockout. Um, yeah, it was, it was game seven at home. I remember it was, uh, it was quite the atmosphere. Um, obviously Toronto gets a lot of, um, how they get chirped a lot for having, you know, suits in the building, but in the playoffs there, it gets going. It's, it's quite the atmosphere. Um, you know, just like any rink, like Calgary in the playoffs, is unbelievable as well. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy. They haven't won a playoff series. They had a, such a good team out too. Um, and I think they'll get over the hump eventually, you know, it's, it's only a matter of time, but it's crazy. It's been 20 years. People have been saying it for five years, but I feel like this is their year. Like they're more than overdue with the players they have. <laughs> yeah, well, they better get it done. Otherwise, who knows what's going to happen with all those players. So I think this year's got got to be the year. Um, hopefully their goaltending holds up because uh, that'd be the only question mark, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And I saw a stat since like mid-December, their goaltending has severely dropped off. So I, I would... Definitely agree that that is their biggest question mark. So take me back to kind of the day you got traded, I guess, to Calgary. What was the emotion of going through that? Was it a was it a hard day mixed with excitement, or what was it kind of? Yeah, it's the shock. I think you're in so much shock when you get traded because I wasn't traded on like it wasn't a trade deadline day. It was in January, end of January. So there's still a month till the deadline. Um, it was actually an off day. I was just at home with with my fiance at the time and uh, who's now my wife and we were just having breakfast and yeah, you, uh, you get a call from, from, uh, I got a call from Berkey, uh, just basically saying, uh, we've moved you on. I can't say who else is involved because there's other, obviously that market, there's other players involved and they wanted to make it. They didn't want the old people trying to get scoops on it because it was a Sunday, but uh, yeah, it was just, you're in shock as soon as it happens. And um, basically then you get a call from, from the flames and their travel coordinators and, and everything. And um, Daryl Sutter was, was the jam at the time you talked to him and they're like, you got to get on a plane. We play tomorrow night. So it was like five hours from when you get told you got traded. I had to be at the airport with, uh, with my equipment and, suitcase of what I needed to bring um so it was uh it, it's a hard it, it, unless you go through it, it's hard to explain what it's like to get traded um because you're just in shock and that was my first time being traded and the only time I got traded really um and mid-season is a lot tougher because all of a sudden you're in a new dressing with with you know 30 new people when you include the trainers and coaching staff and everybody so um yeah, that's that's not the best I can explain it. Is is you're in shock and and before you know it, you're in warm up in completely different colors, trying to fit in and and you're just trying to do the best you can with it. Well, I, I can't even imagine because like you hear stories about guys getting traded and they've tried to 
I guess, kind of dumb it down for a regular person to kind of get the understanding of why guys are traded or like, I guess the effect of not why guys are traded, but just like the family having to just pack their bags and go like, can you imagine you now with a four and a seven year old and your wife? And I don't know if you got pets or whatever, but to just get up and say, Hey, we're moving in the span of five hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like we didn't have kids at the time. Um, but yeah, that's what it was like. It would be really hard with kids. You basically, you're just leaving your, your family behind basically. And then trying to figure things out on the phone. And, um, that's why our wives, you know, they have a, a lot on their plate when you have kids and, and, and pets and, and all that. Cause we're so focused on the hockey and when your world gets, you know, changed in a split second and you're moving across the country, you know, a lot gets put on them. Um, and they deserve a lot of credit for, for the stuff they do for us to have our careers. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, for me in a way, it was, I kind of, I was, I was on an expiring contract. So I knew, and I was having a good year. I was getting up to close to 50 points and um, I was a free agent there and the Leafs were going through a bit of a rebuild and uh, it was tough times there. So I kind of thought I'd maybe trade the deadline as a rental, but I wasn't expecting it that soon. And all I knew was Toronto. So, I was uh, I was sad and, and disappointed because all I knew was you know the Leafs, but uh, in a way I was excited as well for for a fresh start, new opportunity, and and you're going to play with you know Mika Kiprasov, Jerome McGinley, and, and all the big names the Flames had at the time. Uh, so that was that was cool as well. So who was all involved in that trade? I know Fanuf came across to Toronto, but who who went with you to Calgary? So it was myself. Uh, Ian White, Jamal Mares, and Nicholas Hagman. Uh, who had, he was at like 25 goals that year. Um, Whitey was having a good year for us in Toronto. Um, and then Jammer was an energy guy. And then like, what came back was just, uh, was enough was the piece. But uh, Keith Ollie was, was in the trade. He was a young up-and-coming prospect. Um, and Schustrom, who was more okay, of like yeah. a fourth-line role guy for for the flames at the time. So that was, it was a seven man trade. Um, but the same day, the Leafs made a trade with Anaheim too, with three other guys. So I was, you know, that the Leafs dressing room got, had a big overturn that day. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I, I know the NHL is literally, it's a brotherhood and hockey in general is a brotherhood. You, you go into a new dressing room and basically it's like, you've been there since the start of the season, but it's still probably a bit of a, a shock at first, isn't it? Like the first week to try and get accustomed to a new team. Oh, well, definitely. You know, it, it's, you know, some things are the same, but every locker room's a little bit different. You know, the dynamic in it, you know, you don't know anything. You're kind of, it's like, it's the way I always try and put it to people. It'd be like, you're in high school and one day they're, you're like, and you have all your friends there and you're in classes together. And then one day someone comes, yeah, you're going to a new school and you got to, move across the city and go to a new school where you don't know anybody and you had to try and, you know, figure out how things work and who you're going to hang out with and, um, you know, what you have in common with, you know, guys who has families, you know, that's probably the best way I can put it. Um, so it, it's, it was an adjustment. Like, you know, as I look back at the time, you don't really think about it, but looking back, it's, uh, it's mentally, it's a lot on, on you and, and, um, 
you know, and the only thing you know is the hockey part, right? You don't know anything else about the city. I knew nothing about Calgary when I got traded there other than playing on the road there. So, uh, but it, it was fun. Um, you know, you dress quickly and before I knew it, I was, uh, you know, I love it. Well, we still live in Calgary. So it's, uh, it's a place we love. It's a place our kids were born. It's a place that uh, we call home now. And, and um, you know, it's such a good thing, uh, you know, we're just lucky that that happened and we went to such a, a good city. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a shock at the time. And, and through your time in Calgary, you had a, a really, I guess, try to put this into words, but a, I can't think of a right word to say other than sad moment. Whereas you, your son obviously passed away. Emerson, I believe his name was. Mm-hmm. And uh, what one moment for me that I, I watch especially just in your career, but one memory and video image that I can get in my head and one of the greatest images, or at least I wouldn't say greatest images, but great responses to what happened and seeing that image of you, you get a penalty shot against the Edmonton Oilers. And it it was just like, you, you score on it, you point to the sky. It's one of those things where it was like, it was so fitting that it was just you and the goalie on a penalty shot breakaway and you get that goal and score that. What was going through your mind at that time? And just that whole situation. Yeah. um, It, it, other than, you know, obviously big goals for your team and scoring in playoffs, uh, you know, that moment was probably the most special um, in my career when it comes to family and, and uh, you know, just what life's about. But uh, yeah, basically, um, just to, um, me and my wife lost a, our child uh, after he was born and team gave me some time off after that. So I didn't play for about 10 days and, um, you know, just to kind of get over things and grieve the way, um, you know, people grieve and you grieve for a long time. But for me, part of my process was I wanted, you know, to, get back playing and be around my brothers at the rank and you know that helped with things and the second game back we were in Edmonton uh and um actually Curtis Glencross said to me at the pregame meal he's like I got a feeling tonight's gonna be a big night and he was just saying that because we were playing on the same line um and you know that night we went out and uh um he had he had a hat trick I had four points um and I got that penalty shot uh, uh in the second period so it was just kind of it was just like things were meant to happen um yeah and I went in and scored and that was just the reaction uh of uh what happened so it's amazing when you when you piece things together how it all plays out and how things happen and in life uh a certain way for that to be my first call after coming back so quickly um was pretty special moment for for myself and uh my whole family yeah really that was so touching and such an incredible moment that I think people who even hate the Calgary flames can like Oilers fans in that game, probably watch that. And they're probably like, that is so awesome. I mean, just as a person, how can you not think that's such an awesome moment really? So. Yeah. Well, and we had so much support, like the city of Calgary embraced us uh, through that whole process. And, um, and I, I wasn't the most loved player when I first got to Calgary. It was kind of a, a tough go for a few years, but um, it, I worked my way back. And then um, that moment happened. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of, it just felt like home in Calgary. And uh, the support we got from 
the city of Calgary and the whole hockey world really um, was, was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it just, it put, puts things in perspective, I think for a lot of people. So um, I guess moving on to happier moments, but uh, you go to 2014, 15, really your team had no expectations and you get all the way you guys somehow get into the playoffs. I think it was like 23rd period comebacks or something ridiculous like that. And you guys draw Vancouver, which pretty favorable matchup. A lot of people were saying this is probably really the two weakest teams in the playing in the first round of the entire playoffs, not just the Western Conference. And then you win that round. You talked briefly about Michael Furland in that series, but how do you think that all just went together and really the perfect situation to get to the second round on a team that really was expected to do nothing? Yeah, well, the crazy thing about that year was it, you just felt something special was happening. We were coming back in games, and um, but we were like we were a good team. The, the amazing part that I thought is we lost Geo uh, to a season-ending injury at the trade deadline, um, and we were like just hanging on to a playoff spot. And he was like, if he played that whole year, he would have won the Norris. Like he, the reason he didn't win the Norris is because he got hurt. Um, and we didn't all we the only ad we made at the deadline was we brought in Schlemko from uh and we got him off waivers, I think. So basically to replace Geo. Um and we traded away Glenn Cross. So we actually sold at the deadline, plus lost our best player, our captain. So the fact that we we uh rallied up for the final twenty uh games and, and got into the playoffs was was amazing to me. Like um we played we played hard. We just we just every shift we were all in um it was it was a really cool thing to be a part of you just had that feeling and um and then when we got in yeah it was definitely a favorable matchup but i don't think many people were giving us a chance to win um so and we also lost our goalie uh kari ramo so we had Taylor, so we had a 1a 1b system going but we lost ramo for the last 15 games too so there was a a lot going against us, but we just kept winning and, um, you know, we we're kind of playing fearless and, and, um, with nothing to lose. And, and we got in and then we lost Lance Bulma to, he broke his hand and he was on, on the line with myself and David Jones, um, pretty much the whole year we were playing as a checking line. Um, so we played against our team's top line most nights because Johnny and Monty were still young then and Bax wasn't yet the checker he was he was like our, our more second third line guy and um yeah so we lost bombs and that's when Furlan came on and uh he replaced booms and in that playoffs he just I remember me and Jonesy David Jones were like Furley you go do your thing and we'll we'll uh make sure to back you up it was kind of like playing with Jordan Tutu in the world juniors go let <laughs> Furlan do his thing and and we just Aired on the side of, you know, we played a defensive style and he would create energy and, and our line ended up producing a bit. We were matched up against the Deans most of that series, at least at home. Um, and we got some big goals from guys like Chris Russell scored a big goal uh, in game one to win, to get that road win. And then at home, we were, we were just that much better at home with, with the matchups and the, the sea of red. It was the first time we were in the playoffs since 09. And so the, the city was buzzing. Um, and, and our D like, 
man, they played good. Like we, Weidman and Russell were playing like 25 minutes a night. We had TJ Brody and Anglin as our second pairing. Like if you look at our lineup, like you said, it was like no expectations there. And, and that's what made it all that much more sweet is, you know, we knew we all had to do our thing to, to have any chance and we were able to. You mentioned TJ Brody. I still think, I don't think he's getting enough credit for how good he's been in Toronto, but I still think he's one of the most underrated D-man in the league. Yeah, he's he's just steady. He's like what you look for. Um, on every, every team looks for a guy like that that can play. He can play 30 minutes some nights because he's such a good skater and, um, and he's never making mistakes. Like, he's just so calm. He can chip in offensively. He's as good of a first passer I played with coming out of our own end. Um, he just makes the right play. He can skate the puck up. He penalty kill. He just does it all. And he's not the guy that gets all the glare. Um, he's just, he's happy to to just do his thing and other guys can, you know, take more risk. And uh, he's been a nice ad for Toronto. Um, and I thought Calgary, uh, you know, he had a tough year his last year. It wasn't even that bad, but I guess in his standards, it wasn't his best year when he was uh, coming out of UFA. And I thought that's one that Calgary let slip away. He's a guy, you know, he'd still be playing 25, 30 minutes a night for you. Yeah, I I remember all the, the media flack really on, on him his last year, maybe even last two years in Calgary. And I I thought for his sake too, it was probably best he moved on. But I, I think I do agree with you in the sense, like, I think Calgary was, I think the media anyway blew it a little out of proportion, like they tend to do with a lot of guys. Well, and we brought in Dougie Hamilton, and then he was paired with Geo, where Broads and Geo always played together. Um, so it was kind of probably frustrating for Broads in a way. Um, but yeah, Broads is just steady. Like, he's not like, we we know what he what he is and um you know he's not flashy but uh he's very effective and i'd say he's arguably him and Gio are probably two of the best D Toronto have right now even as they they're getting older yeah i would agree with you there i guess that kind of brings me to the 16 17 season where that had to be one of the weirdest first round sweeps i have ever seen like you guys i honestly thought if you just go based on outplaying the other team it should have been 3-1 Calgary after four games like take me through that series and when you're done you're like how the hell are we did we just get swept oh. yeah there was so much height like we had a good we won 10 in a row in February um we were going and feeling good about ourselves and, and we were playing Anaheim was they had a good team and we, we hadn't won that building for what I don't know 10 years so there's that that mentally but it's a new team it's a new series and game one we were we outplayed them in the first two periods I remember we were we were up uh, I think back scored we were up in that game 2-1 feeling good about ourselves rolling the lines and I remember we we had a bad line chain at the end of the second and um, I don't know what happened but we basically had five guys come to the bench and um, their goalie quicked up it or their D-man just slung it up the ice and gets left. They basically had a three on all uh, with us trying to scramble back to our own end. And, and uh, Brian Elliott made a big save on whoever shot it, but the rebound went right to gets and he scored. Um, 
And honestly, that second intermission, so we're going to an intermission that's tie game, but we we were running their show for the most part of the first two periods and had but that killed our momentum. And you felt it in the second period, like you're trying to rally up. And I was one of the more vocal guys in that room trying to rally the guys up, but a lot of, a couple, some guys were choked about the change and um, Moose was choked. Like, how do we give that up? Uh, you know, at that point in the game. And, um, and then in the third, we just, you know, we got a penalty. We, we played well, but we got a penalty and it was just like, they scored on the power play late in the game. And it was game two was the same. We came out and, Again, we got a late penalty and they got a lucky deflection off one of our sticks that went in. It wasn't even a shot on net, it was just like a weird deflection. Um, so we were down to nothing before we know that and, and felt good about the way we played. So when we came back to Calgary, um, we came out hot, the city was buzzing, and we had a three nothing lead in <laughs> game three. So you're like, okay, we're back in the series, but they got a late goal at the end of the second, like a goal that probably you know, shouldn't have went in, but it did. And, and um, I remember going to that third period um, for some reason there was panic and they, uh, they got a power play goal and we shortened the bench and, you know, they tied it up and then it went to overtime. They scored. It was like, it was, it was kind of like what happened when we came back on, on Vancouver in game six of the, of the 2015 playoffs, like that elimination game, we were, we were down three, nothing early and came back and won. So, it's kind of like that. And then game four, we, we all played them again. They beat us by one. So I'm sure you've heard all about it from, from Steger. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it was a one-sided on, you know, four, nothing series sweep. It looks one-sided, but yeah, we probably should have been up at least tied if we, you know, but we probably should have been up three, one in that series. Yeah. It was like, I, I have watched a lot of hockey in my life and I can't remember a series looking back on where it was like, the furthest thing from a sweep that ended up being a sweep. Like it was, it was in no way meant to be a sweep. It was just a, one yeah, of the, that's, that's hockey, right? You get, you know, momentum, a balance, one goal games. It's uh, you got to figure out a way to just get that extra goal at times. And they, they give them credit. They found a way, even though they weren't at their best. So to finish up your NHL career, in 1718, I believe it was, right? That's your last year, correct? Yeah. So you get a thousand games in the NHL, a thousand three, I believe it is to be exact. What's that mean to you? Yeah, it's special. I think um yeah, I didn't realize so few players had done it. Um, like when you when you're getting close and you see the numbers that like 350 players. Um so now it's a proud moment. I, you know, to be able to only play for the two teams I played for, um, you know, I, I was very proud of that. Um, you know, just to have the longevity and, and um, you know, just taking care of myself through my career, it all paid off really to, to reach that milestone. Um, but it's not like I'm going through my career and, you know, being like, oh, I want to play a thousand games. That's my goal. Your, your goal is to win a Stanley Cup. And, I would trade my thousand games for a Stanley Cup any day, but uh, when you when you get to a thousand games and look back, it's it's pretty special because um, it's very rare uh, for a player to play that long and live their dream playing in NHL for that many games. So I'm very uh, honored and uh, feel fortunate for 
being able to play that that many games, but also proud. Um, and you look at all the people that that support you growing up and through your career, your family, you know, your wife, and you know that that go through the whole journey with you, uh, all your teammates. It's a it's a moment that you can kind of look back and reflect, and um, it was special for sure. Yeah, I I was I'm like you. I was a little shocked. I was looking up how many guys have played a thousand games, and 370, I believe, is what I read and it said so that is that's a crazy milestone really and and i think it's going to be less and less uh guys down the road hit that milestone just because the as you know the older guys in the league are basically getting taken out every year because the salary cap and teams can't really afford to pay older guys even two or three million a year now because it's such a fluctuating situation with the top players and the bottom players as far as salary cap. So they just tend to put in a lot of those entry-level contract guys from time to time. So I think that's one of those things too, where not many guys oh, yeah. hit a thousand anymore. Yeah. Well, the league's getting younger and younger. So yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be harder. And, and just like, not to, not to like chirp, you know, the guys that play today, but like, um injuries are way more every little thing is taken care of now like and they're more everybody's more cautious with everything where you know early Mike you played through everything unless you're, you had a broken bone or um you know something you know that's really you can't play with a really bad concussion or you're basically playing um and you know Nowadays, just even teams and, you know, they're just more cautious because they don't want players to have long-term uh, effects of, you know, even for later in the season. Like they want guys ready for playoffs. And, um, so, yeah, you'll see less and less of it for sure. Um, and the main thing is the salary cap and how fast the game is and how, how much younger the average age is every year. That's such a good point about the uh, about the injuries and how – and that brings me, I guess, to my next point. I mean – you played a thousand games, but you didn't play 20 years in the NHL. You played around 15, which is still a long time. But how did you manage to stay healthy enough to play through that era, especially with, like, you talked about earlier, the amount of tough guys and guys that would just run guys through walls and take 20 strides. Like, how did you manage to stay healthy through those years? Uh, I, I'm very fortunate. Um I guess I'm made of elastic. My bones are elastic. I don't know. <laughs> um, you can't pull fat is what I would always say. Um, but you know what? And, and I look back like in the late 2000s, like I was playing a lot for the Leafs because we weren't very, we lost Sundin, we lost all our, so I was playing top line and facing against, you know, the other team's top line, um, top D-men, which I probably shouldn't have been, but I was. Um, and yeah, I, my body took a beating at times, but you know, I was just fortunate. Like I, yeah, if you, if you pull up myself on YouTube, you'll see me getting hammered quite a few times by different players in the league. Um, but I never really missed much time. Like I tore my MCL. Um, I had a high ankle sprain. Those are my two longest injuries where you'd, I missed like six weeks, but I was pretty healthy. Uh, I wouldn't say healthy, but I was able to play, um, pretty much every year um so I was fortunate that way how does your body feel now because I know like a lot of guys when they're done they got nagging 
issues with their body once they retire but are you are you pretty good or you still got some aches and pains the odd time yeah you feel it a little bit like your your hips and and stuff like that but i'm pretty lucky um i i honestly i learned at a young age i was i worked with matt nickel he's the leafs trainer uh strength coach when i came into the league and his thing right from the start was um in the summer yeah you you work to get stronger and work on your game but it's also you're working on uh taking care of your body because once your body goes uh you know your your career's done that's that's basically what you go off of and his philosophy was um you know invest in your body in the summers and even like you got to pay for uh art or cairo or um, whatever it is um do that in the summer because if if all that gets you an extra couple years in your career it's all worth it um because you want your body feeling good and um so we would train uh in a way that to get stronger but it was and he still does it um it was more so like making sure that you can you know, go through the grind of a NHL hockey season year after year. Um, obviously, some injuries are, are you know, you can't do anything about. It's bad luck. You know, you take a puck to the face or um, break an ankle from a slap shot. Like, that, that's bad luck, and, and it happens. But, um, you know, the joints and, and, you know, your hips and stuff like that, you you just try and, as much as you can, uh, strengthen the areas around it. and and hope that it can hold up. And I, I learned that at a young age and I found a, a routine that worked for me um, throughout my career. And um, luckily it was the right routine. That's awesome that, uh, that you got to a thousand games though. That's unbelievable. And especially to stay healthy through that time frame of where the game was, it was not easy to stay healthy, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I guess that takes me. So your last year of, Pro hockey, you decided to go to Germany. What was the reasoning going there, and how was your experience over in Germany? I loved it. Um, me and my wife always talked about going there. Um, it's a little harder because we had kids and uh, a newborn, but she was uh, she was a rock and, and and went over there. You know, I had two options. I had I had uh, could have went on, on a tryout somewhere in the NHL, which maybe I should have gave it one last go. But just speaking with with my family and my agent, like, um, and him showing the odds of, of making it after, you know, when you're on a pro trial, it's very low. Um, I know we hear about the, the odd one or two players that signs a contract when they're on a PTO, but it's very low. Um, so we just decided like, it's been a good career. We don't need to, um, go get it out somewhere and, and hope, uh, and then we'd have to move the family. We said, let's just, let's just go to Europe and Germany was the spot for, for two reasons. We had friends on the team and, and there's a lot, a lot more Canadians. They allow more imports in, in, the, in the Dell. Um, and Switzerland was, was more full at the time when I was deciding. So they, they, they had their imports, you know, selected and they only get three in that league. So um, when Munich came calling, I was uh, one of the best cities in the world. It was pretty easy to, to answer. And, and, the hockey there was it got me by surprise it was really good like i would say it was better than um the ahl if not just as good but maybe even better because you had a lot of older canadians that that you know could make more money over there than than playing in the a you know the only thing you're doing is giving up your nhl dream uh so we went and the only the only downside that i would say is i really want to play in the spangler cup um but when you play in germany they don't allow unless your team's in it they don't loan you 
for the Spangler Cup in that league because they have Christmas games and they just made it a league rule. So that was the only downside to it because I would have loved to play for Canada there and kind of end it with, with that. But uh, it was a memorable season and I loved it. It was a good way to go out and it was good timing because it was the year before COVID hit and uh, we didn't get stuck over there. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but great things about Germany. You also put you played with uh, a guy who's from Lethbridge too, Daryl Boyle. So that's pretty. Yeah, there you pretty go. Cool he's still going. Yeah, he's still going. And what's he? Is he? He'd be thirty-five, I think. He is 34, 35, Yeah, something. yeah. He might. I, I think he's been there so long. We're. I'm pretty sure he's not an import anymore. Nope, he's not because he played on the yeah, German yeah. Olympic he team. Played, that's right, he did. Um, yeah. So and you met lots of. Lots of guys there that and you all different career paths. But one thing, you know, the fan support there, it's like a soccer game. Like it's literally like watching uh, a soccer game in a in a ten thousand seat arena with the fans going nuts, chanting the whole game. It's it's, it's quite the experience. Um, and I'm glad I experienced it because you would never know if uh, unless you went there because it gets very little coverage here in Canada because we got the NHL. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I always tell people too that. You go to a hockey game in Europe and in Canada, it's almost like, like, yeah, it's fun to go to a flames game or whatever, but it's, it's almost like everyone's an armchair GM at a, at a uh, yeah. hockey game in Canada. You go to a game in Europe and they are literally fans, right? Like they're standing all game. They're chanting all game. It, it's basically what, what we just saw in Halifax, really. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's like that, but they have chants and like they're singing the whole game, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's it, it was incredible. Um, I and anybody that asks me, like I would say, at the end of your career, like any players, like we didn't go over there for the money. Like it was, I wanted to experience that because you hear such good things, and I don't regret it for one second. That's awesome. Yeah. And a perfect place to retire really to end it off, especially to do it on your own terms and do it somewhere where you really enjoyed your time. That's, that's awesome. So, and I guess that gets me into where you are now and you're coaching uh, assistant coach for the Calgary Hitman. First off, how's your year going? How much are you enjoying it? And share through me how you coach your kids still too. Cause I, I know you coach your kids a little bit as well. Yeah, it, it's been it's been awesome. I uh, I'm really enjoying the coaching. I think uh, you're learning. I'm learning a lot from uh, you know doing video and presenting video, helping you know uh, WHL players, and I still call them kids because they are. But uh, you know they're aspiring pros, and and you try and help them, and and um, you know you you learn a lot just being on the coach's side. Um, you know, and, and it gets you like the games are gets your blood flowing again like when you played so I've really enjoyed it um and uh you know it's been a great experience so hopefully we can go on a bit of a run here our team's playing really well um and then yeah I also get to coach my kid kids and and you know they're only seven and younger so I enjoy coaching them too and and uh watch them uh grow and enjoy the game that I have enjoyed my whole life so that's been a lot of fun and um, that's just been the toughest challenge is when you miss your kids, uh, hockey. Cause I'm, you know, out here and, and, uh, on the road with it. And then, you know, that's sometimes the tough part, but, uh, you know, you balance things and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, I can keep coaching wherever it is and, and keep enjoying it. 
I guess two part question with the coaching now is first off, how do you kind of, I don't know if rope in's the right word, but how do you kind of coach kids? Cause nowadays everyone wants to be a skill guy, right? Like everyone wants to be that power play guy. Not many guys really want to be just a PK guy or energy guy on the fourth line. So how do you kind of coach kids to say, Hey, like you might not be a power play guy, but especially you, you'd know a perfect route of there's so many guys that they get to the NHL and they're not going to be skill guys. And to make it, you have to develop those other skills, right? Yeah. And, and getting back to why I played a thousand game, it's in the NHL, it's because I was able to adapt. Um, you got to adapt your role. You got to, you have to have the right self-evaluation is what we try and tell the guys on the team. Like when you, when you ask a kid where, where you see them fit um, and get their self-evaluation, um, you hope that they, they have a pretty good pulse on it. Um, because we all think, yeah, we're, we want to be skilled. Everybody wants to play the half wall and the power play and, and all those uh, sexy spots that, you know, goal scorers play. But, you know, um, the fact of the matter is you need, you need way out more of the other types of players that can defend and, and check. And, um, you know, that, and even if you are a skilled guy, you still got to bring the other elements if you ever want to play pro. Um, so you just, you try and communicate you know, with them in a way it's, it's uh, having conversations and um, try and teach them through your own experiences and hope that they get it right there. You never want to take a kid's uh, dream away. Um, so, so when you, when you go about it, you never take their dream away, but you try and, uh, you know, make it about the team. And, and we have a great group here in Calgary with the Hitmen. So, um, you know, guys are, are very um, all about the team and, when your opportunity comes to to play a role that you think you should play, you got to make it take advantage of it. Because at the end of the day, when when you're coaching at a, an elite level, and you know this is the top junior league in the world, you're still trying to win hockey games, and you're using your players in the best possible way to win hockey games. So uh, that's kind of how you go about it. And uh, it's just it's different than when we were kids and, and going through junior, where there was a lot more. Uh, the coaching was a bit different back then, but it, you know, the self-evaluation, the philosophy is the same because you, you need to understand the team concept and how to play a full, full, uh, you know, two-way game. Otherwise, uh, you know, when those pro, pro scouts come watch you, um, they're not going to be very happy. And that's what I try and tell them. Well, and one thing, speaking of pro scouts tomorrow, you guys play the Regina Pats and, we were kind of talking. Will Will Connor Bedard be in the lineup? Obviously, you guys are hoping he's not, probably. But it's it's also a weird time of year, right? Because the trade deadline, three days away. How do you keep your players focused on the task at hand around the trade deadline? Because they're sixteen to twenty years old. It's a it's a you remember being that age, especially around trade deadline. I mean, you maybe because of the player you were, you didn't have to worry about getting traded, but uh, just how do you keep players focused on the task at hand? And how do you try and if Bedard does play, what do you tell your team before a game against Bedard? Yeah. Well, you can't control what, what they're going to do, especially with social media. Now, like they, they got their fingertips on everything. Um, they find out about trades and that stuff before we probably do. Um, when we were playing junior, we didn't have that. So you just kind of, you bring the focus onto the game. Um you know, you can't hold everybody's hand. You can guide them in the right direction and tell them to get their headspace in the right spot. But um, ultimately, it's up to them. 
right? You 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 put a game plan and and uh, what you an idea of how they should prepare, and um, it's up to each kid to to learn what works for them and make sure you're ready when when puck drops. Um, so that's the biggest challenge is is trying to because you want to treat them like pros um, and they want to be treated like pros, but they're still kids, right? They're still learning. So it's it's just finding that balance at this level. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you want to want them to learn so that if they're lucky enough to go pro, that they're prepared. Well, Matt, I mean, we could probably keep talking for another hour, but uh, I know you guys got a team dinner at the keg lined up in Regina, which I'm pretty jealous of. That's not a bad spot to go to. But uh, I, I hope for your sake, maybe if coaching takes you down the path, and I hope it does if that's what you want to do, but I hope you can get that opportunity to go to the Spangler Cup, whether it be as a fan or hopefully as a coach one day. That would be pretty awesome. And to win the Stanley Cup, I mean, there's all different ways without being a player to be a part of a Stanley Cup. So I hope you still get to live out that dream. Yeah, well, hopefully. I'll, I'll try my best, but I'm also enjoying family time as much as I can. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where the future takes us all, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, hey, who knows? Maybe your kid will be, or one of your kids will be lifting the cup one day, or both of them. Who knows? Exactly, uh, right? Let's just have fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for doing this. And I always tell people that of all the people I've met in pro hockey, that Matt Stajan is the best person I've ever met. So I, I really appreciate you for coming on and I wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, anytime. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you at the rink somewhere. Yeah, exactly. We'll run each, into each other at a hockey rink. So we'll talk to you later, Matt. Yeah, see ya.